0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: The other side of the news is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight.
2: We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts. To gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus...
3: To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous
2: commentary... Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment.
3: Our desire... desire is
1: To awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community.
2: Learning new things. Asking questions. Getting compelling answers
3: and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity.
1: We present thought provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way.
2: Propelling you to see the world in another
1: way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives
2: on global events.
3: Tune in for a balanced view
2: of the other side of the news.
1: Good morning, good night, and good evening. My name is Timothy Saunders. I'm one of your co-hosts on this 29th edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this morning from the Aegean coastline on the Asian continent in lazy sights of the Greek island of Koz, which is technically part of Europe. However, for many of you, both are situated on the other side of this globe. I will soon be joined by co-host and produ- producer Kintia who remains very busy doing time in the COVID lockdown state of California, together with co-host and researcher Annette Driscoll, who seems to have extended her parole in Ohio. This show is entitled Harvesting DNA. I foresaw this year being remembered as a milestone in human evolution driven by the propagation of increased consciousness when masks would come off. Of course, I did not envisage this meaning actual masks, otherwise known as face diapers, muzzles, or toxin rebreathers. Rather, I imagined with 2020 vision that we would see people for who they truly are. I believe it is essential to discern the difference between acquaintances and true friends. During these unreasonable lockdown days, when many invest much of their time, browsing mainstream and social media, it is more important than ever to select appropriate influences that lead to truth rather than half-truths or far worse. This is fundamental to fueling our core with positivity to resonate and communicate our intent clearly with family, friends, and colleagues. This leads to building relationships rather than leaving them for derelict. These are certainly challenging times, and while there are great signs that indicate we are well on the ramp to the great awakening, for there is brilliant light at the end of this tunnel. It is equally very clear there is much negativity going on in the shadows. That has unfortunately been lurking there far longer than most of us care to admit. However, in order to embrace the truth, it is necessary to first illuminate the unknown. This directly disables any fear, replacing it with a sense of empowerment which breeds momentum. In this show, we will investigate evidence of the abduction and dissection of a child, allegedly by the CDC, to extract her rare chromosome. To bring such a sensitive story to the radio is not something to be done on the wheels of hearsay. As a result, we will draw on the testimony of her mother and court advocate. But first, Let's gain a little context, so we may better understand what exactly goes into producing vaccines. Keith, please place the excerpt A, part of Dr. Robert. So you asked a question
4: of Dell about vaccinations. This is what a child in the first years of life receives in micrograms and milligrams, etc. 17,500 micrograms of phenoxynaethanol, antifreeze, the first six years of life. 5,700 micrograms of alumin, aluminum, a known neurotoxin. Unknown quantities of bovine serum, 801.6 micrograms of formaldehyde, a carcinogen, an embalming agent, 23,250 micrograms of gelatin, animal carcass soil. 500 micrograms of human albumin, 760 micrograms of monosodium glutamate, unknown quantities of Merck MRC-5 cells, aborted human babies, more than 10 micrograms of neomycin, an antibiotic with cross M bones on it, more than 560 micrograms of polysorbate 80, 160 micrograms of potassium chloride, 188 micrograms of potassium phosphate, 260 micrograms of sodium bicarbonate. That's the only one that I agree with, by the way. And the list goes on. 270 micrograms of sodium borate, 54,100 micrograms of sodium chloride, it's table salt, unknown quantities of sodium citrate, unknown quantities of sodium hydroxide, 2,800 micrograms of sodium phosphate, unknown quantity of sodium phosphate, monobasic mono, monohydrate, which are toxic to the body. Sorbitol, 32,000 micrograms. Streptomycin, 0.6 micrograms. More than 40,000 micrograms of sucrose can, cane sugar. 35,000 micrograms of yeast protein. Produce uh, compromises the environment, which leads to an increase of fungi. We have documented this in the blood. 5,000 micrograms of, of urea, metabolic residues of human urine. This is what we are injecting into our newborn babies. As I said earlier, not in this format, The only thing you prove by vaccinating your children is that if they live through it is you just poisoned them and they survived. There is no such thing as providing immunity or antibodies against these so-called assaults when it's not about the matter. It's about the environment around the matter.
1: That was a list of some of the exotic ingredients that go into modern day vaccines. This sound excerpt was from Dr. Robert O. Young's ITNJ testimony at the International Tribunal for Natural Justice. You can find the link to this, uh, to the full video at the bottom of the banner in in section of links. Let us not forget that vaccines are not classed as medicine and those that create them, millions of them are protected by our governments. So their originators are never held liable. And one more thing, the science of vaccines has not yet been proven. A careful read of germ theory versus terrain theory will quickly bring some uncomfortable questions to mind. Anyone who is awake would probably find these statements astounding especially in light of how hard the COVID-19 proponents are pushing this highly profitable and toxic pseudoscience on to us and in lockstep. I very much look forward to hearing our guest's perspective regarding this awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on the other side of the news in the drop-down menu or kindly scroll down to tonight's white, the other side of the news show banner. There you will see details for this show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there is a huge collection of information, much to confuse uh, despair, and uh, to read, to watch, and to listen to, most of which has been hand-picked from independent sources. I do urge you to watch them and even download copies of them sooner than later as the censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. As we positively encourage our listeners to co-create a better future, you'll find the call-in telephone number below tonight's banner. If you have a relevant question or perhaps would like to share an important observation, please dial plus one if you're outside of North America, followed by 917 889 we will come through to the sound engineer in the control tower this evening, Keith Morgan, who will guide you to the entry into our conversation. We will take your calls in the last 45 minutes to this two-hour show, after we've laid out some of the foundations necessary for this discussion. During the last week, we have once again seen inevitable events in the news to discuss each topic and present each one in the correct context could easily fill up one show by itself. But in summary, both Johnson & Johnson and Lilly have halted their vaccine testing, both due to unexpected sickness. I believe it would be far more convincing if they had said their respective vaccine tests are on hold due to expected sicknesses, especially after hearing from Dr. Robert Young. Trump makes a huge advert for Regeneron. Did he buy shares during his brief stay in hospital? He, did he like it so much he bought the company? Oh, hang on a second. That was the other guy, the Remington guy. Wrong entrepreneur. Oh, and Trump says he is And I quote, he is immune for a long time, a short time, or for a lifetime. I hope for a little more clarity before he gives shares. Regenerate to the mass. This week, censorship and hypocrisy continues to increase on mainstream and social media, as do more strict lockdown a fast case-demic caused by dodgy tests, as do the number of international doctors and medical practitioners continue to increase, coming out and standing up against this pandemic by the thousands. Also, with regards to food production, farming continues to be under attack. To the point where progress is being severely impaired by new emergency style legislation. But don't worry, insect farms are on the rise. The world's largest bug farm is set up in France. And these are not butterfly farms for weekend family outings, but multi million dollar setups to breed billions of bugs. Why, you may ask? Well, bugs are a source of high protein. It is thought this protein is coming into a human food product, near you, soon. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of perspectives. Journalists, writers, political people, doctors, lawyers, influencers and activists who are wide awake and all the mainstream act. All they require is to unplug the mainstream and social media propaganda to make your own independent research and to stop equity stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Sherry Saunders and Jasmine Mack, our guests, are such individuals. I look forward to them joining us short. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Aneta. How are you this week? Has autumn, sorry, fall, California or Ohio? Good
3: evening, Kintia here. Happy to be here. This is a... Challenging topic. I I just wanted to tag on to Dr. Robert Young's comment that in my links, I also have a link to over 6,000 that's right, 6,000 eminent scientists who are protesting against the lockdowns. So it's interesting to see how physicians all around the world are speaking up, but they continue to be censored. And I pray I, I hold a vision that that number will continue to grow. It was eight hundred here in America, then it went to a thousand now it's up to six thousand. So the world is waking up, and I take great comfort in that. Anetta
5: yes, well, um, I am in Ohio, as Timothy indicated, and uh... We are actually experiencing autumn here. Um, when I arrived, all the trees were green, and now they're they're not <laughs> uh, so um, as far as my experiences go, since I've been kind of filling everybody in on what goes on with flights and things like that, um, uh, so the mask thing I, I think most people are aware that ohio is 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 right up there, not not as bad as california, but it's it's not a good state to be in as far as lockdown and um, they've got mandatory mask wearing, et cetera, et cetera. And I am happy to report that I have uh, walked into every single place that I've gone into without a mask. And I have simply stated that um, I have a medical exemption. In my case, my medical exemption is I don't want to have my own health deteriorate from wearing a mask. So. I have been able to enter into uh, every place without a problem, which is a lot better than California, so then that's my that's my report on that uh, the current events in Ohio and me and masks.
3: then I just have to tag on I don't know if you saw on my links, but Governor Newsom is now recommending that people wear masks while they're eating, and they <laughs> <laughs> with, with each box.
5: Can you imagine? I, I I don't know how he can to be any more of a moron than he already has, but somehow he manages. I so, can't believe it.
6: Yeah,
5: <clears> that's <throat> embarrassing. Um, but, yeah, so that was, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. It's like I've had people ask me, well, I just don't understand how, you know, you have to wear them when you walk into a restaurant, but once you're in, you can take them off. And it's like, because this isn't anything about your health. It has nothing to do with an actual health issue so when you start to look at it from that perspective it all makes sense right so there you go and how about you timothy
1: i'm i'm just double checking my sound quality can you hear me
5: oh yes you're better right now mm-hmm.
1: okay i think i picked up some uh some other wi-fi accidentally just before the opening so i'm happy to hear that it's better now yeah i'm i'm well thank you it's been a very busy week here uh for me Life is normal. I go to shops that specifically don't require me to wear masks. They actually probably do technically, but they don't wear them. They don't believe in them. So for me, I'd park the car, go in, go out, you know. For me, I I don't think I wore a mask once this week, actually. So uh, I had a week, a mask-free week. So I'm happy. And uh, I didn't die of uh, COVID or anything else yet so <laughs> I guess that's okay <laughs> yeah I'm not laughing at the people who are sick I'm just to be clear it's just I believe the masks are useless and uh, we've talked about that ad nauseum. so yeah I'm well thank you Good. yeah Good. so should we uh kick off we have lots to get through in this show uh would you like to open the discussion We were talking about um, sort of kicking off or laying a few foundation stones.
5: Yeah, so um, in last week's show, if you listened to it, uh, if you did not listen to it, last week's show was really a great uh, show to understand a lot about the vaccines and how how your body functions and what viruses really are and are not, things like that. It's a great show. Um, That was uh, Punction Judy, and it was Dr. Judy Mikovic. So it, it, if you uh, have not heard that, it would be a good idea to listen to that one. Um, and so to kind of continue on with that, uh, we were talking um, about a lot of the different things that have occurred from the vaccines. And I would call them side effects, but they aren't really side effects. They're quite planned. Uh, they're quite deliberate And uh, we can go into all of the reasons why they do that, which I think we will as the show goes on. But, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about what happens as what they're calling the side effects of um, vaccines. So um, a lot of this uh, RNA that's included in the vaccines, of course, is foreign to the human body because it's it's coming from other species. And Uh, there's no way to get these into our body except for uh, having it injected directly into the bloodstream. Um, So we have all of this stuff that our body is seeing as foreign, and it's trying to reject it, which uh, if you look into terrain theory versus germ theory, uh, there is an explanation that the body is actually trying to uh, get rid of the uh, the toxins and the reaction that we're seeing that we, we perceive as flu or colds or things is actually the body going through a, uh, a process of detoxification. So, but if it doesn't go through that process and if the toxins overwhelm the body, uh, we see other things that they're calling the side effects. So, one of the things that you'll see, you know, for example, Uh, Many children, after vaccinations, one of the most common, uh, uh, quote, side effects is neurological. And after listening to that list from Dr. Young, you can certainly understand what would cause that. There's a lot of neurotoxins in there, a lot of things that would affect the nervous system. So it can trigger things like seizures. um, And, uh, of course, autism is a form of a neurological uh, issue. Um, there's always that side effect of death and um, there's paralysis, which again is uh, neurological. Uh, one of the ones that, um, one of the early ones that, that started to show up um, that's been, been uh, is present almost all over the place. That particularly affects women uh, more so than men, although it does affect men is um, chronic fatigue syndrome. And if you get into, looking at why that happens, I actually, I only posted one link this week. It's a really interesting video. It's an older video. Um, In fact, the doctor uh, passed on, he, I'm not sure how many years ago, but he has passed on since the video was recorded back in the eighties. And um, it talks about, it's really a great primer on what the difference between RNA and DNA and how these things function in our bodies what goes on, uh, and the, uh, the effects of um, all of these things. And it's using the uh, HIV-AIDS, which is, again, the same uh, plot, the same thing going on now um, that we have going on with the, the virus. It's the same thing that, when, that has been going on with chronic fatigue. So these patterns, the system that they're using is very it's, – it's we're, we're talking the same plot over and over again.
1: And so I've, that, heard, I've heard huh? people say that the HIV element of, of what's going on right now is, is the delivery system. Is that right. So is it possible to explain that a little bit? Because I think it would be useful to, to bring it down. Because what we're dealing with now, this COVID-19 thing, is, is like a designer a, a designer virus, I believe.
5: Well, yeah, they—they've all essentially been designer viruses or designer uh, RNA, I should say, uh, because they are extracted from other species. They are extracted from other tissue, from other species which have no business being uh, that RNA has no business being in our body and affecting our DNA. When it affects it, and. Um, so yes, so that same kind of uh matrix that they're using or the same delivery system that they're using is identical actually. Uh so they can design these vaccines uh, you know, any way they'd like. So it it's no it's it's no big surprise and this is something I suspected from the beginning, but it took a little while to and I wish I had, I, I'm traveling, and I wish I had this study up, um, and maybe I can find it and put it in my links later. But, um, you know, the correlation between people that have the flu vaccine having a much higher incidence of actually uh, becoming ill from the um, COVID virus, and I use that term loosely, but the COVID reaction is more like it. Um, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. But I, it's not happening in the way that the explanation they're giving. So this this, um, this reaction, this viral reaction is the same mechanism that chronic fatigue has, and here's the problem. It stays with the body because it is foreign material. And it's re, in, in the immune system's health is dependent on how toxic that body is. and, and as you can, here, from the list of what is in our vaccines, that stuff is toxic to our body all metals, and formaldehyde, and all the, the wonderful goodies that are in there and have no business being injected into our systems. So, I hope that, I hope that, does that answer that a little bit?
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, this is where we get this, uh, this term exosome as well, isn't it? I think when, when people yes. suffer from what we, we are you know, programmed to understand as flu, the symptoms of runny nose, runny eyes. You know, coughing, basically the body trying to reject toxins through mucus and so on. that is the outside of what's happening on the inside, which I believe is these cells they're just basically uh, detoxing, getting rid of anything they can in terms of uh, metals and, and poisons and so on, which has been collected up not only just for days or weeks but maybe years. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think stress is also tied up into these cells holding on to this. Um, these toxins. So for example, we've talked many times before about how when people are in in a fight or flight situation, that stress can actually uh, deactivate the immune system. So all of these factors are going on, both psychological and chemical, and they're all playing with the mind, with the body, with our immune system, all happening at the same time. So when I say designer virus, You know, it really is, as you say, and it really is like a a very focused um, laser beam at at humanity.
7: Yes.
5: Well, and uh, and I I don't know if we're going to go into that tonight. Um, Depends on where our guests take us with this. But, you know, we are, I mean, in in theory, I I believe this is true. You know, they're looking at ways to depopulate. What a massively wonderful way this is. It debilitates people. Uh, e- even if you're just dealing with a chronic issue like chronic fatigue, rehabilitates people to work, makes them ill, makes them vulnerable to anything else that comes along and um, ultimately, and, you know, sterilizes people as one of the other side effects of probably about this. And, you know, basically leads to depopulation. And if that's the goal, which there's plenty of indication that that is, um, then, you know, we've got the perfect tool here. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a grim one here. And the other thing
1: is <laughs> it seems to be making people ma- more malleable as well. And,
7: um, mm-hmm.
1: It seems that sort of the number of people are just walking around accepting all these wonderful lockdown uh, uh, protocols and rules and regulations and thinking it's a great idea and then trying to enforce those rules with others around them. It, it's it's just unbelievable. It's like the uh, you don't need the sheep dogs anymore. The sheep are policing the sheep. So, um uh, mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, well, and the, you know, it all works together, right? I mean, the the increase in the um in, in the cortisol makes the brain not, you know, it shuts down the, the the front cor the frontal cortex, which is your ability to think. Uh, so this is a magnificent design here. We've got going with the fear, you know, I, I call it the feargasms and the and the fear porn that's being constantly, you know, pumped out through all the media sources and And uh, we can see immune system. And what's interesting about these things is that the immune system actually becomes overly activated. And and people think, oh, my immune system working is a good thing. Well, no, not when it's too active. And ultimately, that's what goes on with people uh, in the cases of the um, the COVID reaction that they're having is they have an overly activated, overly stimulated uh, immune system.
1: Is that when allergies come up?
5: Absolutely. Allergies are a autoimmune disease that's over an overactive immune system. Okay. Yeah, and it's because there's it's the, all the toxins. There's too many toxins, the body is like it's everything becomes a toxin. So yeah. Yeah.
1: No where, where where we're going with all of this is just to set down a few foundation blocks before the break. Uh and before we bring our guests back on, but as well as these sort of more mundane, simple toxins, metals, and so on, there are there's also a great need for the CDC and other research centers to find exotic chromosomes. And uh, this is really key to understanding what we're about to un- unveil this evening. So we're coming up on a break. Seeing as uh, I have the mic in front of me, I may as well just go for it. Uh, So we're going to take a little moment out we'll be shortly returning with our guests.
6: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. $0.08 an episode, $0.02 per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
4: Hi, this
1: is Ola Damagord from LightOnConspiracies.com. You know, over the years I've done some 500 to 1,000 international interviews, and I just want to say, the other side of the news
4: is one of my favorite shows. So enjoy. <laughs>
3: Welcome back to The Other Side of the News. To find tonight's show page, please go to theothersideofmidnight.com and click on the banner for The Other Side of the News. Tonight's show is called Harvesting DNA, and our main guest is Sherry Saunders. Co-hosts tonight are Annette Driscoll, Timothy Saunder, and myself, Kinthea. And this is the most challenging topic. We are actually going to have three guests on. Sherry Saunders, her bio is in there, and I'll uh, share it in just a moment. And we will also be joined by Brenda Hampton, uh, who went with Sherry to go visit Jasmine Mack, who is the mother of um, Tyria, forgive me how I spelled, I pronounced that wrong, Um So we're going to be hearing from Jasmine, the mother, and from um, Brenda and Sherry. So let me share with you who Sherry is. Sorry about that. My computer's going slow. Sherry Saunders is a civil rights leader from Birmingham, Alabama. She spends her free time serving as an environmentalist. Natural healer and spiritual guide. She serves as a medicine woman and ceremonial leader at her Native American church. She leads peyote, psilocybin, mushroom, and other life changing entheogenic experiences for its members and guests at a 42 acre retreat in Blount County, Alabama. For over 25 years, Sherry has specialized in civil. Family, and Legal Advocacy that covers a broad area of community organizing affairs and activism. She served as a director of the nonprofit Committee to Protect the Homeless in Huntsville, Alabama for three and a, more than three years. She has volunteered with the Alabama Governor's Office on Disability since 2010, serving Alabama's disabled citizens as an advocate in personal, legal, and political affairs. She served as a federal whistleblower witness for the EEOC in two workplace racial discrimination lawsuits that created a new law of protection for whistleblowers. Sherry is a graduate of Huntsville Hospital Corporate University, 18-month emergency Leaders Management Training Program. The training and information gathered while working for the sixth largest allopathic hospital system in Southeastern United States has served her well. In addition to her experience serving as a U.S. Army Reserve combat medic for eight years, including numerous researching medical topics, She has provided the they have provided her the information she discloses while public speaking on medical freedom and vaccine issue topics nationwide. So welcome, Sherry. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you with us.
8: Thank you for uh, allowing me to come to the show this evening. And uh, thank you for having uh, my guest, uh, Jasmine Mack and Brenda Hampton. Uh, on this show this evening also, and I want to thank all of you guys for talking about such a difficult subject matter that I know not uh, Mimi Broadcast has uh, honestly the courage to bring forth this information that we will be speaking about tonight.
3: Would you like to lay down a little foundation of the story behind here before we bring on Jasmine and Brenda?
8: Yes. Uh, I became uh, a party of this story when the writer Terry Lapointe reached out to me. She was the head writer at that time for MedicalKidnap.com. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm having a, a dry throat here. I'm gonna keep drinking some water. But MedicalKidnap.com is the website and uh, the uh, the stories that. Terry would write, would deal with issues of DHR or uh, CPS, which here in the United States, it deals with a, a government family services that come in to remove your children when they feel like you are not taking care of them properly. So Terry contacted me to assist her in the investigation of this story in September of 2016 when it came to her. And this story uh, we pursued until uh, Nariah's death, uh, and that took place in December of 2017. So in July of 2016, Atlanta uh, Children's Hospital, by way of the Department of Family and Children's Services in Georgia, acquired uh, a, a little child by the name of Nariah Mack the mother never had her legal rights removed from her through a court, although she had uh, over 20 uh, court hearings that uh, were never, the, the court hearings never took place. They were always continued. So what we have, once again, is in July of 2016, Jasmine Mack's daughter was removed from her care while she was at a pediatrician's doctor's appointment and she was placed in custody at the Atlanta children's hospital under the, the care of Dr. Stephen Gowdy of Emory university research hospital. And at that point, each month the court would issue another summons to Jasmine that her case was going to be continued for another 30 days. Uh, that That happened the entire custody time period that Jasmine's daughter spent there at the hospital in Atlanta. So that would be between July of 2016 until her death in December of 2017.
3: Oh my Uh, gosh! You mean that's so long? The did she was she able to see her daughter, or was her daughter not even able to see her mother?
8: There. There were time periods that Jasmine would be given a summons to leave the property of the hospital. Uh, She would be forced to leave the hospital because the guards would place their hands on her and forcibly remove her from the grounds of the hospital. Now, they would allow Jasmine to stay with her daughter at times. And then at times they would remove her from the property, giving her no reason as to why. Now those times that Jasmine had been removed from the property of the hospital, uh, they also correspond with the times and dates that she was given on hospital records where medical procedures were performed on Naraya Mac without, uh, with, without without the Jasmine's permission. Correct, Jasmine. Mac never signed a document stating that she agreed with any of the medical care taking place on her daughter.
3: So you're saying that they came and they took her child without her permission and then they conducted these experiments again without her permission and they kept her from her daughter all that time?
8: She was allowed to stay with uh, Naraya at certain times for. For a few days, a few weeks, and then they would ask her in a very nice way uh, by way of a trespassing order to leave the hospital. And then she would have to stay gone until they would lift the trespassing order and allow her back inside the hospital. So Jasmine can probably give you a better idea of how many days she was blocked from her daughter and how many days she had access to her daughter.
3: I see. I see. Well, before we bring Jasmine on, is there um, something you want to add to this background?
8: Yes. I would like to add that in July of 2016, when Naraya Mack was taken into custody there at Atlanta Children's Hospital. Dr. Stephen Gowdy applied for research grants in specific into research into the voice box. We discovered through hospital records that in July of 2016, Naraya Mack had a surgery performed on her voice box. What we know from what research I have been able to find is hundreds of thousands of dollars, upwards of $2 million, had been given to Stephen Gowdy, Dr. Stephen Gowdy, and his research team in the first 30 to 60 days that Naraya Mack was in custody of the state of Georgia in Atlanta Children's Hospital.
3: Oh, my gosh.
8: They applied for research money immediately and received it.
3: So it sounds like you're saying not only is the hospital involved, but the state of Georgia is involved.
8: I am exactly stating that. The state of Georgia did not even give Jasmine Mack a death certificate of Naraya Mack until March 5th of 2020. That is this year. So, Naraya Mack was buried without a death certificate.
3: That's unheard of.
8: That is unheard of. Jasmine had to fight for years to get a death certificate on her daughter. That specific thing kept her from uh, uh, being able to ask for a court hearing in order to sue. On behalf of her daughter because the in the court's view Naraya was not dead because there was no death certificate. So until March 5th of this year, until we got that order from the Department uh, of Services there in Georgia stating that we have a death certificate, although it was three years later. Wow. Uh, it it's actually a blessing, honestly, that they 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 played it this way. I feel like this was an intentional act that they did not want to give Jasmine a death certificate uh, during the time that the research was taking place uh, uh, on her daughter. And I I feel that not only did the research uh, end uh, at her death, I believe that the reason why they extended the time period on releasing the death certificate is because research took place on live cells that belonged to Nariah Mack after her recorded death date.
3: So what legal recourse do you have now? Is there are any channels that you're pursuing?
8: Jasmine was given an offer while Naraya was still alive in this hospital. Uh, and that offer was, um, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was for $14 million dollars that if she would accept a check, they would write it out to her for $14 million and she would walk away from the hospital and her daughter, uh, Naraya Mack. Um, the hospital, after her death, has uh, given a Jasmine uh, all indications that they are ready to settle. They want to provide uh, some settlement to this case because, When we get into the story and you start to look at some of the issues and facts that took place during the storyline while Naraya was still alive, there are many people whose career is going to come on the line. We have people there at the Department of Family and Children's Services. We have the judge over the case. We even have a funeral director who, at the time that he buried Naraya Mack, was not even licensed to be a funeral director. His license had been uh, suspended due to uh, having complaints made against his funeral home for selling pre-needed or pre-need burial policies where you pay up front for a burial policy and then after you die, your family can cash it in and you can be buried and, and it wouldn't cost you anything. He was not licensed to sell these burial plans. And had gotten popped for it there in Florida <clears throat> at the uh, department. Uh, let's see what did I write down right here. The uh, funeral license were up. Uh, uh, the funeral license was placed on hold on November the second of 2016 through the Department of Financial Services of Florida. His address at the funeral home at that time was 5907 East Highway 22, Panama City, City, Florida. His funeral home was the name of Richardson Family Funeral Care. And at the time that this man uh, delivered the body to uh, Jasmine Mack in Florida, once again, he was suspended uh, as a licensed business owner and should never have been allowed to pick up the body in Georgia. So there there are many questions in many people's career, not to mention a lot of physicians who helped kidnap a child. So that they could perform research, research that they applied for money grants or and then testified in court, at least by way of the Department of Family and Children's Services there in Georgia. They made testimony in court hearings that Nariah Mack was comatose, that Nariah Mack could not speak, could not blink, could not um, take care of herself, could not uh reach out to caregivers <clears throat> that Nariah Mack was nothing more than a vegetable. That was the testimony. That's what kept Nariah Mack in that hospital. That is what Jasmine was told. That Nariah was being held because she was a vegetable. Now in the in, in the research that we did and, and Miss Brenda who's sitting here beside me, me, Brenda and Terry LaPointe were able one time to break through the security to get into this hospital. And that is only because when I uh, we took Brenda, who is African-American, we insinuated that Brenda was family to Jasmine Mack. And that is what got us upstairs where the guards escorted us after waiting for 20 minutes uh, to have our IDs checked. They, they removed our, our driver's license from us and carried them into a room behind a locked door. That is how we got upstairs there at the hospital to see Jasmine. We insinuated that Brenda was family.
3: Oh, my goodness. Well, it just seems like one botch after another. I mean, the irregularities in this are just astounding, and nobody would ever believe that could happen like that. Ridiculous.
8: Ma'am, Absolutely um, ridiculous, ma'am. I want you to know that while we were there for Nariah Mack, I was on a floor at this hospital that every child in those rooms was a, uh, uh, was owned by the Department of Family and Children's Services. This was uh, to describe this floor in the hospital. Once you are, uh, you get sent or get allowed to walk through the doors that are locked. There is a guard outside those doors. You walk down a hallway system that is shaped like a horseshoe and the nurse's station was in the middle of his horseshoe and the rooms were on the outside. Naraya Mack was in a room directly across from the nurse's station. And the day that we got to spend with her, I played, uh, games with Mariah. She specifically had a ball that she would throw at me and I would miss and it would go bouncing down the hallway. Um, there was uh, times that we, we we prayed with her. we We sang with her. And now, once again, this is a child that these same doctors who were over her care, who had applied for research and had gotten these grants also testified in official legal documents that Naraya Mack was a vegetable the same child that I played ball with as she amazing
3: this would be a good time to bring Brenda on because Brenda was with you to yes, uh to, to share with the audience her take on the experience of seeing the Naraya Brenda are you there yes Welcome. Welcome to the other side of the news.
9: Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I am an administrator of the uh, Concerned Citizens of North Alabama. I'm also the administrator of uh, Concerned Citizens of WMEL, Water Authority, Grassroots, here in Alabama. Uh, I do a lot of work. I speak for those that I like to say the ones that can't speak for themselves. On the day that I went to Atlanta with uh, Sherry, I observed Naraya. Uh Naraya was very well, very well awake. You wouldn't think that she was a child that uh, was comatose to anything because she played ball, she played games with us. She talked. As a matter of fact, when we came in, we made the nurses take the oxygen off of her because they were um, just forcing her oxygen into her and she really didn't need it. And once we had the nurse to remove the oxygen from her, she began to play, come alive, talk, you know, make sounds, play with her mother. We even have pictures of that, um, with the pictures of her there in the hospital. On we have this a video floor,
3: on the page as well, if people want to see.
9: On that floor, most of the children that were there are wards of the state that you would say. Uh, I observed from like a newborn baby, I would say about two to three months within a room right over from uh, Mariah. No parents was on the floor at all. There was uh, another black uh, male child that was about 12 to 13 years old. He had uh, a trach in his throat. Uh, He was walking around there, Uh, no parents there for him either. Most of all the children on that floor were wards of the state and and basically every room up there were filled.
3: So did you have the impression that tests were going on not only with Naraya but with these other children? I, I, mean, I can for sure, but
9: I felt that it was because there was no parental supervision there, even with the uh, newborn. Uh, I'm a mother of three girls; my girls are grown, uh, unfortunate, but I do have grandchildren. I would have never left my baby there, especially a baby of a couple of months old, for no one to take care of, regardless. And they had a baby there that they were uh, taking care of. And this baby at the time was having a seizure at the time when we were there and nurses were running in taking care of this baby. So I feel that they were doing tests. I didn't feel comfortable with the way that we went in and I didn't feel comfortable at the treatment that Naraya was receiving at the time.
3: Well, it's just really shocking that they could even get away with all of this. Um, I'm just amazed.
6: well, after coming back and doing
9: some research and stuff, I found that Emory Hospital is a research hospital, and they get a lot of money on that, uh, for research. So uh, with Naraya having a, a rare chromosome, that was a good break for them. And uh, unfortunately, it was a sad break for us because uh, Naraya is no longer here with us. I did feel that there was a lot of research being done on those children for Their care with no parents there to give any type of consent. And when you're a ward of the state, they can pretty much do what they want with you.
1: Brenda, it's Timothy speaking. Sorry, Kintia. May I just uh, ask a question? Because there's, I mean, this is a phenomenal story and I am following with great interest. There are a few links I'd like to try and build bridges across if possible. Also, I'd like to say, Jasmine, I'm very sorry to hear about the news and, uh, you know, my thoughts are with you, and despite all of that, I'm very curious to get to the bottom of this respectfully, so that we can pro- bring awareness to other people and try and bring some positivity out of this uh, out of this this this, this event. But uh, Brenda, may I ask you? You said that people were okay. The children were having experiments done to them may I ask you very directly how how did you ascertain that how, how did you discover that or how did you see it did you witness it did you see what was the evidence for that
9: I've been a caregiver myself for my mother my uh, grandfather and my father uh so I could tell by the mannerism the way that the nurses were acting and reacting even when we asked them to take the oxygen off in the rier Uh, The nurse sort of had like a little attitude about it before, but she did do it after we insisted that she do it. And then Mariah felt better after she took it because we could see that she was having a, a hard time with the oxygen. She really didn't need it. And then when the baby had a seizure, I saw how they were doing. I went to Mariah's door to stand and look because the baby was to the left of the room where Mariah was at. And uh, I just didn't like the way that they were handling a couple of months old baby. It Mm. wasn't like a normal procedure that you would see. And I'm a grandmother and a mother of three children.
1: I'm I'm curious that in a standard scenario, in a a hospital, at the end of the bed, there's like a little clipboard usually, what they used to be. And uh, a list of uh, what medication the patient is, is taking, was there any like that around at all, or was it it a different regime, different set of rules?
9: Uh, There was nothing at the time around in the room because I was looking for that because I'm a stigma for that, because I don't believe in a lot of medication, so I was looking to see what type of medication that they were giving her, and there was no chart at the time. Also, when I was observing the baby's room that they went in, I didn't see a chart there for them either. The charts were basically behind the uh, nursery station that was there.
1: I see. And may I ask, maybe I missed it. How old was Mariah at that time when, when she was in the hospital at that point? Uh, Mariah was about
9: seven yeah. or eight, something like
1: nine, nine. nine. yeah, Nine yeah. years old. Yeah. Wow. And sorry for so many questions. I'm just trying to fill in some, some gaps in my thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what was her condition before she was brought to the hospital. I mean, was she you know were you aware that she had a, a, a special or rare chromosome or, or was she her, she had her, other signs?
8: Yes, uh in Florida where she had lived with her mom up until the point that they moved to Atlanta. In fact this was the very first pediatrician's doctor's appointment that was made Naraya when they arrived uh, there in Atlanta and this appointment what Jasmine thought was that this appointment was there so that she could have her medical records from Florida and the doctors that took care of Naraya <clears throat> transferred <clears throat> from Florida to Georgia. Now in Florida Naraya attended school she was uh, uh, as she had Trisomi nine yes. Uh, but she was attending school and she was thriving as a child with a disability. There did not seem to be any reason to want to remove the child who had lived her entire life all those years in Florida by the Florida Department of Children's Services or or their uh, Child Protective Services. They seemed to not have a problem with anything that, uh, jasmine had been doing and jasmine had seen multiple doctors sherry
1: had- I'm, I'm very sorry to cut you off we're coming up on a break at the top of the hour okay uh, i'd like to hear some more about this because and also i'd like to hear what i think you said was tris nine i'd like to hear about that some more detail but right now we're going to go to the break uh, we're going to hear some music and you're listening to the other side of the news
10: In the navigator bar or in the left hand column. Membership costs nineteen ninety-five per month. That's thirty three tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club nineteen point five member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives, if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends, and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Oakland, over and out. Hi, this is Ted Kuntz from Vaccine Choice Canada. I just want to reach out and express my gratitude to other side of the news for all that you guys are doing to empower humanity and bring us to a higher state of consciousness. Uh, The time that we shared together was a real pleasure, rich conversation, and I know that all of you are uh, higher conscious beings who are uh, part of the solution. You guys are great.
5: Welcome back to the second hour of the Other Side of the News, and this is Meta And we left off with uh, Timothy was asking about the trisomy nine. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. That the genetic um, anomaly that we were that Nira Neria had, and um, we were asking what that was. So we can start there. See, so can
8: I'm sorry. Can y'all hear me now?
5: Now we can yes good okay Uh,
8: sorry about that all right so uh, trisomy nine is a rare uh, genetic uh, disorder where there is a triple copy of the ninth chromosome
7: Uh,
8: and in some people affected uh, the body uh, the body cells that has that triple nine chromosome of The symptoms can be uh, intellectual disability, developmental delay, growth problems, uh, congenital heart defects. And for Nariah, it it gave her a failure to thrive, so she was small, uh, and she had started uh, walking, uh later in life, I'm not certain what year she was, how old she was when she was able to start walking, but she was able to to move and walk with assistance uh of of um like a a hand device that she could hold on to while she moved her legs. Uh she was always going to be small. She would never reach sexual maturity. Uh so prosome nine is, is very rare. Less than A hundred people have been known to ever have this uh, condition. She was the only child uh, of her age with this condition. And apparently the only child that Atlanta Children's Hospital and Emory University or the CDC had the opportunity to to use uh, or get their hands on. So
5: essentially you're saying she was very, it was I hate to put it this way, but it seems from their point of view, she was a very, very valuable commodity for their experimentation.
8: She was one of a kind. That's Uh, right. And uh, when they offered uh, Jasmine this money amount, she reached out uh, and let uh, Terry LaPointe, the writer, uh, and let me me know uh, about this. Uh, We attempted uh, to get a second meeting uh, with them on this money and that I believe at that point they had started to uh, remove Jasmine from the property because I had advised her at that point to always wear a recording device so that she could record these conversations because they would come to her and speak to her about giving her money but would not put any papers in her hand. So we were hoping to catch them in a recorded conversation um, when it came to how much money they were willing to offer. But if they were going to just speak and say $14 million just out of the blue, you have to sit and imagine uh, the research that goes through Emory University in Atlanta, there in CDC, uh, this brings in billions of dollars into Georgia, into Atlanta. So Naraya uh, having access uh, to this genetic abnormality, this failure to thrive, which is the cornerstone of the Trisomy 9. She literally is the only person on the planet that could give the CDC what they wanted. And that is when you have uh, the HIV creation that they made with that uh, immunodeficiency where it destroys your immune system, uh, then you you double that with another genetic protein addition to these vaccines that carries a failure to thrive uh, genetic material that would have been uh, taken from Naraya because they also performed a surgery on her uh, where they removed her tonsils and adenoids. And Mimi scientists know that the tonsils and adenoids is where a lot of genetic material is found. So they specifically in the first month targeted her vocal voice box and her tonsils and adenoids uh, so that they could remove those things for research. And uh, those of us in the medical industry know that when you remove the tonsils and adenoids, uh, you place the body in a situation where it has no front gate to stop any intrusion of bacteria or any pathogens, any viruses into the body because the tonsils and adenoids are the first gate uh, against uh, or as prevention of infection. That is the first gate that you come to and they remove that right off the bat. And then they would use that genetic material that would be found within these tonsils and these adenoids. Uh, so that failure to thrive once again is uh uh, the most important aspect of naraya's genetic code because now that they can add that failure to thrive to the immunodeficiency, we know that, for example, Nariah would have never reached sexual maturity. So in the United States in, in this past year or two, we have uh, a few, few people have talked about the story of the, the birth rate, which we only have about 3 million live births in this past year, that's not enough to replace or replenish the amount of people that live in our country. So if your birth rate drops and bottoms out to 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 nothing and what uh, births are uh, able to, to continue and, and be born and then grow and then come to find out that their sexual organs can never mature because they have a failure to thrive then there will be no more births that is the that is the best way to depopulate a planet that i can think of you create through a vaccine the genetic material that will be passed into the the genetics of of each person inoculated through the proteins that will combine on uh, the individuals who receives this vaccine. It will combine on their DNA. It will uh, change their DNA, it will rewrite their DNA. And now their body has this material that was stolen from a little girl that was happy in Florida and was healthy in Florida. But when she came to Georgia and at her first doctor's appointment, they were ready with the police. And they took custody of this child. I feel like her invitation to Georgia, the invitation to go to this doctor's appointment from start to finish was to take Nariah Mack from Jasmine because she had been asked multiple times in Florida to, to allow her child to be researched upon. And she had declined it each and every time. Oh,
5: it definitely sounds so suspicious. And I, you know, I know child protective services. I mean, that's a very, uh, Let's say dicey organization in every state, as far as I can tell from the legal side of things. I, I, uh, this is a little bit off topic, and I, and I I definitely want to bring Jasmine on here. Um, but just before we go over to that, I wanted to, to ask one little thing. Um, I, I remember you saying that when you went to visit Naraya in the hospital, that you had, they, they, they had you surrender your driver's licenses and i find that you know fascinatingly disturbing because who has to surrender their driver's license to go into a hospital i mean didn't alarms kind of go off with people or were you the only ones that were there i'm thinking you're the only ones that were there but even so if somebody asked me to surrender my driver's license for example to go in a place i mean i would i would give them the what for and the fourth amendment rights and everything else so what was going on there? How did they handle that? Because that's a big red flag.
8: I'm going to let Brenda uh, answer that question because she was there with us and had her license taken also.
6: Okay.
8: And I was shocked that they asked for our identification
9: and going into a hospital because that was the first time I had ever been asked to give any type of uh, identification and going in to see a patient. So I found that very strange uh, in doing that, but um we needed to get in to see her, so we could see ourselves as to what was going on. So we went along right. with the program.
5: Right, I can understand why you would go along. I'm just saying it's like, it's just very uh, strange and odd and alarming yeah.
8: that, you I know. Yeah. I graduated from a corporate university within a hospital and worked at that hospital for years. I had never heard of this happening. And when we arrived, we were told by those guards that Naraya and Jasmine had never had a visitor in that hospital the entire time they had been there, which we knew because they weren't allowed to have visitors uh, or visitors weren't really allowed to be upstairs. Like I said, I insinuated that I had brought family to visit with Jasmine and the guards assumed uh, due to skin color that perhaps Brenda was a family with Jasmine. And after keeping us on hold for about 20 minutes, uh, we were escorted upstairs. Another guard stood at the door and let us in a locked door. And that was the floor that uh, all of these children uh, were, uh, were on. Now, just on the floor at the horseshoe, I'm going to guess there was at least 16 patients. It, it looked like about a 16-patient turn But on the left side of the hallway, as we walked down, there was another door that was locked. And when you look down that hallway, there was 12 more rooms, six on each side. And Jasmine will let you know that she was able to speak to one family that was on that floor uh, with their children because they only kept Latino and uh, Asian children on that on that ward. Once again, only Latino and Asian children were on the floor on the left side hallway that had a locked door. All I could do was look through the glass and see the doors on each side. But sure. there were,
3: yes. Yeah, this is Kinthea. You So you're saying there was a guard. It's a locked door with a guard. I've never heard of such a thing. You do that for criminals in a hospital, not for children the
8: only the only place I've ever seen security like that is uh in the nursery uh at you know like at a women's and children's where they're going to give birth and there's new more children. That is the only part of the hospital that will have extra security that in in my experience and I worked for a large hospital system so for me to see the amount of security that was was there it, it was shocking. And it also gave me uh, uh, some indication as to how important the children were on that floor because it was very hard to get in, and I bet it's even harder to get out.
5: Yes. Was this a, uh, did this happen to be a sally port system on the doors? In other words, was it a door and then uh, like a little hallway and another door by chance? Do you remember
6: just one single, it was one,
7: one it was too. one single door. Okay.
5: I mean, I just, I, I, there's just more of a curiosity on my part. I, I've designed a lot of hospitals and the, the places that you see that are like the, um, the, the psychiatric units and things like that. So with the, where they really, if they're trying to keep people from escaping more than getting in is the point. So like if somebody's trying to get their child out of there. You know, I'm. But if you had that much security, it would be hard to do anyway. Um, I suppose. But we would really like to to bring Jasmine on. I mean, believe it or not, we only have 45 minutes left, and we do have callers waiting on the line. So, <laughs> so um Jasmine, are you there? Is she there?
3: I'm you... here.
5: Hello. Hello,
0: Jason.
5: Yeah, Thank you for thank you for coming on. And and I I, I know I'm speaking for all of us that so this is a we're, we're terribly sorry this has happened and that this um well that this is the topic we're on, but we also feel it's really important yes. to let people know. Hmm?
0: Yes. Um. And thank you for having me. Um. I try to extend. You know. Um, really reach out to who, you know, whatever platform I can to get this out. Um, my goal is to bring awareness, uh, what we call medical kidnap. Um, I feel like what we went through was in the same bracket as sex trafficking, human trafficking, organ harvesting. But it was done in a legal way using the court system to do it. Um My baby girl, um, I'm a mother of three, uh, so she's my middle child. Uh, She has a big brother and a little brother. Um, We ventured out from Florida um, where my sister lived in Georgia after my mom passed away. Uh, So it was a hard decision to leave Florida, um, being that, you know, I had a special needs little girl. And you know we were basically we were grounded we were there um everything was going good in florida uh she was going to the fourth grade uh she wasn't on any medication um i really i went through my whole pregnancy without even knowing that she was going to have this um this condition um i found out after 2 months of being in the NICU after her um her birth um the way I was told about her condition, uh, basically, her physician called me in, and he basically told me it was called uh, trisomy nine. Uh, he says all I know about it is that it has a low survival rate, um, and um, you have to go on the internet and read about it. And so I left this doctor's office, and all I can, all that was in my head was low, you know, survival rate and I cried all the way home. I get home and I started immediately researching this this term, trisomy 9. Um, and I found it was a chromosome disorder and, you know, but it didn't have a lot of information because it's not a lot of information out there concerning it. Um, so it's very limited and each child is different. Naraya um, was mosaic trisomy nine and what that means is that she didn't have the full trisomy she had um 120 to 30% of her cells um infected by this trisomy 9 uh so that left her with a greater chance of living a um, um a longer you know lifespan uh she didn't have a lot of the problems that she would have had had she been, you know, more of her cells would have been infected. Um, Mariah was the sweetest little girl in the whole world. You, She didn't have a bad day. If she was hurting, if she was, you know, didn't feel good, you didn't know it. She kept a smile. We were good. She did not speak. She didn't walk. Um, that was one thing, that was the only thing that we were concerned about when we moved to Georgia, um, the obstacle of learning how to walk. Uh, we get to Georgia, and we getting settled in. I got, you know, my kids into school, and um, I had to get my insurance and everything switched from Florida to Georgia, so that was a little wait. Um, between this time, I was bringing Nariah back to Florida to see her doctor as needed, Um so we finally got our insurance set up and I um reached out and got her a pediatrician. Um we went to the pediatrician's office from there um she sent out the referrals to the specialist. Um Naraya had a PDA closure at birth. Uh she had a she had a VP shunt um where she had fluid on the brain. Um and she had a feeding tube Where she was a bad uh, feeder. She didn't, she didn't, she choked real bad. So she, you know, had to be assisted with um, a a feeding pump. Um, But she did have some, you know, uh, snack bottles here and there. I just had to thicken it for her. Um, We went to the first uh, doctor's office. She referred us to a GI doctor, which was the first specialist. Um, we went into this, um, and she was at Emory Clinic, uh, this, doc, this GI doctor. Uh, we went in, and um, we they called us to the back, and we sat to the back for a while, and the doctor came in, um, and she didn't do a physical on my daughter. She didn't even glance at her. You know, she went straight to the chart, picked it up, and she was kind of reading over it, and, you know, I made the the first, you know, hello, uh, have you ever seen a trisomy nine kid before? And that's a question that i became accustomed to asking because I want the doctor to be as comfortable as they can uh with her care. Um, so she made the statement that no, that she had never seen a trisomy nine kid and she didn't think any of them had. Uh she told me she said, Well, um, let me admit you guys into the hospital. That way, because you're not from uh Atlanta, you it'll keep you from having to run around from this doctor to that doctor. So let me just admit you guys in, get you set up and we'll get you guys discharged. And I agree. Um, we couldn't get admitted that that same day, um, because they didn't have any beds. So she advised me that she would call me in the next morning and, you know, we'll have our bags ready. Uh, which she did. The next morning, called, and we went in, and we got admitted into the hospital. That was the biggest mistake made. That was um, that was when everything went downhill. Um, three days later, we were there. Um, I was approached by a, a team of security guards. Um, And a lady from BFAC, CPS, Child Protective Service. Um, And they expressed to me that I had to leave the hospital and my daughter had to stay. Um, I went to questioning why. You know, I've been her full time caregiver all of her life. That's, I'm the only, you know, she knows me. I speak for her. Uh, When you say anything to her, she looks at me and wait on me to speak. Um, So I was refusing to leave her. Uh, they began to get on each side of me, uh, lift me up off the ground, and drug me from the fourth floor of this hospital to the carport. Once we got to the carport, it was another security guard down there, and he was pushing me towards the the the, the, the exit. Um, and they handed me a court paper to go to court saying that CPS says um, um, a case of neglect. So, um, during this time, a lot of things were, were was, it, it happened, all, you know, so fast that I didn't realize that, you know, they don't know my, they don't know her, you know, they don't know how special she is. They don't have her medical records, they don't know her, and here I am on the outside of the hospital. Unable to give them any kind of a, you know, background on her. Um, I was due to go to court. The hearing was, um, it was a 48-hour hearing uh, to go to the family court, um, which I was in attendance, and my aunt was with me. Um, the state defect CPS asked for a continuing and was granted that. Um me not knowing at the time that this was against law, this is, you have to be able to produce a case when you come into court with those, within those 48 hours. If you're not able to produce a case that this parent committed intentional neglect, intentional abuse, or whatever you claim your claim is to be, you are to give that child back to his family at that moment, and that wasn't done. Um, I was in, Instead, I was given a, another court date, which um, was a month later. Uh, that left me trespassed out of the hospital and my daughter in state's custody. Oh.
7: Um,
3: Shocking.
0: Two weeks went by, I didn't hear anything from defects. I didn't hear anything from anyone that had anything to do with the case. I didn't even know where my child was. For two weeks, I didn't know if she was had been discharged and was at a foster home. And it just broke my heart to even imagine her being in a foster home when she had a loving mother that has been taking care of her all her life. I was 27 years old when I had Nariah. I was very young, but I had to grow up. And I did. Um, the doctors, you know, would commend me, um, saying that I was like a forty-year-old woman at twenty-seven dealing with this. Um, I sort of, kind of started teaching them because they were clueless on Naraya, and they had her set up to where if it doesn't hurt her, we don't bother it. If it if it's not broke, we don't fix it. Uh, this is Naraya. This is how Naraya is gonna be. Um, and we we were thriving with that. We were living. Um, we um, Within those two weeks, that they had me um I finally got a call from a nurse where she snuck and called me, uh, told me that she would lose her job if they knew that she were, was calling me. But she knew that as a parent, I would want to know where my baby was and that, indeed, she was her patient that day. And I, my heart was so just filled up to where I could hear her. So since for two weeks I I didn't know nothing. I couldn't find out anything, and so that brought a lot of joy to me. Um. But also I was um more so brought into a shock because within those two weeks she had her first surgery. Um. They had done a procedure on her voice box at this point, and they also did a surgery to remove her adenoids and couples. Um, yes,
3: Ad- only- yes. We're going to the bottom of the hour break. I'd like when we come back, I'd like to hear the rest of what was happening and the procedures that they gave to her. And, and then a little later we'll take Terry LaPointe, who was one of the reporters. So you're listening to the other side of the news. And we will return after the break. The show is called Harvesting DNA, and our guests tonight are Jasmine Mack, the mother, and uh, Sherry Edwards. Uh, I'm sorry, Sherry Saunders.
1: The other side of the news is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight.
3: We
2: investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events and thus
3: to bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous
2: commentary based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment.
3: Our desire is
1: to awaken your imagination imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community.
2: Learning new things. Asking questions, getting compelling answers,
3: and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity.
1: We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way.
2: Propelling you to see the world in another way.
1: With clear insights and fresh perspectives
2: on global events.
3: Tune in for a balanced view
2: of the other side of the news.
10: And the other side of the news can be heard here on this network, on this channel. On this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, 2 hours, 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. I warn you, you'll be safe in your own peril.
3: it helps to unmute. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back to the other side of the news. Our guests tonight are Sherry Saunders and Raya's mother, Jasmine Mack. And we have Brenda Hampton. And later on, we'll be joined by Terry LaPointe, who is one of the reporters. So Jasmine, I want to come back to you. You're such a courageous and brave soul. And I, as a parent myself, I just can't imagine going through what you've gone through and the way you've held it together, not only for you yourself, but for your family, for your two other boys, and your courageous campaign here to alert other parents so that they won't suffer the same consequences. So my heart goes out to you, Jasmine, and you were just telling us before break Uh, the procedures that were being done on your daughter, Jasmine, without your permission and how you were being kept from her?
0: Yes. Um, The first surgery, they removed her tonsils and noise. They expressed that she had sleep apnea and um, that she would benefit from this. Um, I didn't know anything about the surgery until I actually got a call after the surgery. Uh, telling me that I needed to come to the hospital, um, that she was having trouble breathing. Um, I run to the hospital. I get there, and she's coming out of surgery, and all the doctors are, I could say maybe seven doctors running in and in and out the room. Everyone has questions about Nariah. Um, they wanted to know what medicine she was on. Uh, they wanted to know what machines were, did she have at home, um, nobody knew anything about Naraya. They didn't have her Florida records, my consent, anything. Um, so I expressed to him that she wasn't on any medications, that we had, saw her heart doctor before we left Florida. Um, he told us that her PDA closure had healed itself and he put us on a once a year, um, a follow up. Um. So at that current time, she wasn't on any medication. Um, she didn't have an oxygen tank. She didn't never seen a pulmonologist before. Um, she had a feeding tube and a nebulizer when she had a cold and was sick. I would do, like, nebulizer treatments. That was it. Um, they were surprised and told me that she would probably go home on oxygen. Um, they testified in court and said that she had a severe lung disease. Um, because I was her full-time caregiver, um, I knew this little girl from the inside out. I, I, the hospital stays, the doctor's offices, the where we're from, we have no, no specialists here, so we have to travel two and four hours away to different doctors. Um, um, Gainesville, uh, Pensacola. Uh, so I never missed the beat. So I know that she didn't have a severe lung disease. My mom just passed away with a severe lung disease. I know that it's a stage disease. It's something that don't happen overnight. Um, but they, this was what they, you know, testified to in court. So at this point, uh, Naraya was discharged out of the hospital and was placed into a foster home. Uh, they gave me these uh, trainings to do, these classes, the counseling, the um, testing, um, all kind of bringers that they took me through. I successfully completed all of them, um, passed everything. Um, but I was still being held at bay because we still had yet had an official hearing. Um, So they took her in their custody July um, July 19, 2016. We didn't go to court in official hearing until that November. So um, this whole time she was in temporary custody of the state. So she wasn't a ward of the state until, you know, November 2016 um, so like I say I, I commi- uh, completed all of the uh, the case plan that they gave me um, I was going to visit her visitation um, I was seeing how her health was declining and every visitation she was in a wheelchair she was very heavy she, was, um, she couldn't laugh at me without coughing it's wet cough um she looked uncomfortable um I noticed what my baby you know pressed them that you know I wanted a um a, a copy of her feeding regimen. I knew that Florida had her on a um a set feeding regimen uh it packed a lot of protein, but because of this cellular thrive, she wasn't big like other kids. I was carrying her in the baby car seat at seven years old uh so she was never a big sized girl um And I expressed to them that I, after uh, reviewing their routine, I noticed that she had a a high-level intake of the protein. So I expressed to them myself that they were overfeeding her. Um, She was having aspirating pneumonias, and they diagnosed her with, is it GRID, acid reflux, So over and over I'm begging these people, I know my baby, this is what's happening. You are overfeeding her, you know, this is what Florida had her set up on. They was not interested in none of Florida notes, their records, nothing that Florida had to say they were not interested in. They wanted to do the research. They wanted to do the research themselves.
3: Well it also sounds to me like a lot of trumped up charges because you certainly demonstrated that you are a very conscientious parent and how they could rationalize taking her from you and putting her in foster care is amazing.
0: Yes. Um, I found out that really it's, it's more, it happens everywhere. Um, This is why I'm trying to bring awareness to this because not only in Atlanta, but you hear stories like this everywhere now um, versus, you know, back a couple of years back, you didn't know what this was, but now that sex uh, trafficking, human trafficking, yeah. all of these things are um, coming, you know, at play, this is coming out. You know, you're able to see that it's a, a ring of people that's involved, um, the state, the government, you know, and it's, it's money is motivated by money. Um, I found out that my daughter, the state was getting ten thousand dollars a month by having her in custody um but the whole time she was in custody, she was probably ninety ninety two percent of the time was in the hospital um, the um, what I found out was that her condition was so rare that she was worth over $500 million
3: in research studies. Oh, my gosh. Um, Jasmine?
0: I later. Yes. Uh,
3: I think we have, like, 20 minutes left on the show, and I think it would be good to bring on Terry LaPointe as well, because she reported on the story, and she probably has more to, to say about other children who have been taken by the system. Would you be comfortable yes. with that?
7: Yes, that's fine.
3: And and you're certainly welcome to stay on and comment. I just want to bring her on as well. Can we bring uh, Terry LaPointe on, please? I appreciate Ms.
0: Terry. Jasmine, it's so good to hear your voice. Hey, Ms. Terry. Hey,
11: hey, Jasmine. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for, for covering this important story.
3: Can so you hear me? To, yes, okay. we can hear you. You've been listening to Jasmine and, and the travail that yes. you've gone through. And I'm wondering from through your eyes as a reporter, what what would you say to all this? As
11: horrific as this is and as unimaginable this story is, unfortunately it's not uncommon that children are taken and, and bogus allegations put on parents for, for the sake of medical research. Uh, when I first started hearing um, stories, there was a story out of Boston, the Justina Pelletier story that I'd heard about before I was ever writing or researching any of this. And I thought it was an anomaly. I thought this, this is something is really wrong because Child Protective Services only takes children away from horrible parents that is what i truly believed and when i started researching these stories i found out that i could not have been could not possibly have been more wrong naraya is a child that i will never forget absolutely will never forget her mother is a doting loving wonderful mother caring mother smart and what happened to this family should never happen to anybody But, unfortunately, this kind of thing happens far too often in America. What I learned about Child Protective Services is that less than 16% of the children taken from their parents by Child Protective Services are taken for reasons of any kind of abuse. Only 17% of the allegations against parents are even substantiated. That's nationally. And then children who are wards of the state or who get into the foster care system are legally able to be used as medical lab rats or for medical drug testing, medical research, without their parents' knowledge or consent. And, and that is horrifying. How in the world could this happen in America? But it does. Children's hospitals are involved. And um, there's I've covered quite a number of stories of children who had a specific medical condition that somebody at that hospital happened to be doing a medical research study on. And then that child was taken from their parents, um, many times on bogus allegations. The allegations against Jasmine, I was able to prove false in five minutes. It was very, very easy to prove, to find the evidence that, that Jasmine was not guilty of what they were accusing her of. But it didn't seem to matter to the courts. And um, this is why it is so important that we have judicial accountability and why we need to have judges with integrity um, appointed and elected in our courts and family courts. That don't even work like criminal courts. It's crazy. It's a whole new, a whole different system where parents are told the Constitution doesn't apply and lies and manipulation and hearsay are the rule of the day.
3: Yes. So, you always thought that if it was for their protection, and here we're learning that most of the charges are trumped up so that they can steal mm-hmm. the children.
11: Shopping. Yes, it's it's a multi-billion-dollar industry, and when you've got a child like Nariah, my gosh, the the dollar signs on her, um, the dollar signs on a child with a with a rare medical condition, it's just unbelievable. But here's the thing, and I and I thought, well, these are just a small subset of the children that are being taken, and yes, a case a, a child like Naria is, you know, one in, a, in many many million millions. <laughs> She's very very rare, but. um A child being uh, used for medical kinds of reasons is very, very common. There are medical issues uh, in approximately 80% of the children in foster care. And that means whether they're taken for a medical kind of reason or if they are put on medications, um, like often psychotropic medicines, medicines that they don't need, when once they get into foster care, that's very, very common. They'll say it's because of the trauma of whatever abuse they had. Well, many of them are taken from non-abusive homes. They may be suffering the trauma of being kidnapped because that's a traumatic thing, being separated from your parents. And, but but there's another factor here is that a child that is considered special needs is worth more to the foster care system than a healthy child. So if you can take a healthy child and do something to cause them to become, quote-unquote, special needs, then that child can generate more money for the state.
3: Very good. Um, Mary, um, I'm noticing there's a message here in the chat. Uh, I know I mentioned that you had written this article. Would you share a little bit about where your articles can be found? I put a link on the webpage to them. Sure.
11: MedicalKidnap dot com. Um, it's um, it's our, or also healthimpactnews.com. dot com. Um, I was their lead investigative reporter for more than four years. And uh, there are all kinds of stories there. You can go in the search engine and search your state or search a specific condition, search for things like uh, Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which is one of the allegations, the false allegations they use against parents. Search for articles on child abuse pediatricians who are in the hospitals, who are funded through the state and, and through federal grants that uh, instead of by the hospital, Whose job it is to decide whether something is truly abuse or not, but they tend to find abuse more often than not, and they are very much involved in many, many of these cases. Um, this the the website medicalkidnap.com, has been in uh, um, around since the late twenty fourteen, <laughs> and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories um, that. Uh, that can, people can, can really research and find out what is going on. Um, there's, you can search medical kidnapping. When, you can search that term, just uh, Google search or on YouTube, and find other stories of medical kidnap kinds of things. There's a Facebook group called Family Forward Project that's um, a, an attorney that fights for families. Um, from Tennessee, Connie Reguly has that group, and it's um, more than 10,000 strong, and and that group is really working on trying to work on legislation to change this, to protect families to, so that nobody has to go through what Jasmine and Nariah have gone through. Again, that's something that... Um, that we, we can fight for. We, there are There's a lot of progress that's being made in talking to legislators um, and, and educating people, educating the public, but much more has to be done. So I would encourage anybody to get involved. If you see something that seems like a medical kidnap kind of story, check into it. Look into it. See what you can do. Have your audience um, can make phone calls or contact legislators. These kinds of things can really make a difference and sometimes um, the public involvement is what is makes the difference in getting it between the child staying in the system or coming home and we've seen that happen
3: and if you will if you will send me a link to the uh, attorney and the legislative action being taken, I will post that on the page. Okay,
6: okay. Well, I wish it
3: was sharing caller as well. Keith, is, is the, the caller still on? Yes, no. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> I'm not hearing anything.
7: I think we yes. have the
3: caller there, but. Uh... Oh, there you are. Hello?
12: Yeah. Uh, I apologize for the delay. We should see listening and uh just trying to get a more uh definitive uh you know way to to display my information on what you're talking about so i don't know i I, I just think it's a, a bit superficial at this point uh but i enjoy listening and uh and I appreciate you bringing the information and the people that you have on the display here. And, uh, it's, it's definitely confirmed a few things for me. Thank you.
3: You're welcome. You're welcome. Do you have a personal situation that touches you? You know, family that situation? In that situation.
12: I have a what? <laughs>
3: Sorry, I can't hear you.
12: Oh uh, well, I, I was uh trying to make out uh, one of the questions. But I I mean uh
3: if you knew any family that's going through that 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 you reached out.
12: Um well I have a lot of, of a very large family. Um uh, there's many things that we we um we tackle together. And independently, uh, as far as, uh, I mean, nobody's going to jail or anything like
7: that.
12: We're all just basically, you know, good.
7: Well, thank
3: you. Thank you for calling in. So I'd like to bring Jasmine back in and and Timothy, Annette, you two want to jump in? Or let's yeah. just have a free-for-all <laughs> Jasmine and Jerry and Brenda. <laughs> well, got oh, sorry. I to.
5: Sorry. I just wanted to bring up something that, that Terry said about the, uh, the whole thing of the court system. Uh, I don't know from state to state. I do know certain states like I'm from California. Uh, those are actually uh, in those courts. They aren't actually judges. Um, and they're administrative and uh, so this could explain a lot of what's going on Um, child protective services i mean this is a whole show in and of itself but technically the way they get around the constitution they're actually uh, people are unknowingly putting themselves in that position and that's way too much to get into on this show but it certainly is worth bringing up on a on a another show uh we could have a a discussion with several people and Terry and things like that, because that is a real issue. Um, people are unknowingly putting themselves in this position where they're vulnerable to child protective services coming in and literally stealing their children. So I just wanted to confirm that.
1: One of the things that uh, I'd like to say is that, and while well, i have been listening to this unique and uh, very specialized case, however unfortunate, How does this relate to everyone else, the majority of the people around? I mean, firstly, we have this vaccination, which seems to be mandatory coming up on the horizon, which uh, is full of all sorts of disgusting, despicable stuff, including uh, perhaps synthesized parts of, well, we've heard the list of, of children, of embryonic material, of metals, of toxins, and so on. So this this is sadly the other side of the coin. This this is you know this is one of the victims who I'm joining the dogs here, but it, it looks it seems as if um, matter was taken from this this child's body was synthesized potentially, and somehow may well have uh, entered the vat of uh, vaccination, which is being developed, tested, tested in verticommas, and about to be shared with uh, millions or potentially billions of people around the planet. So think about that. Think about that. Read the slip. Read the list of items, ingredients, which is you know, in, in the packet of the vaccination, insist you check it before you have your injection. Don't roll up your sleeve until you've actually seen it and read it and understood it and asked and, and had questions answered from the person who's about to stab you with this needle. I'd like you to think about it. I'm certainly thinking about it. And uh, the other thing is that I, I really want to say is that, again, the you may think this is very special, unusual treatment, the way that uh, this, this young girl was singled out and ad- abducted. But in Australia, for example, in New Zealand, I believe, and many other countries, a lot of emer- emergency legislation, emergency style legislation during this lockdown is to potentially take control of children. I've heard reports in Australia that a child can go to school. And if it's deemed important for that child to be taken into care during the day, whether they cough, splutter, sneeze, whatever it is they do, uh, they may not come home at night. They may be indefinitely locked up for for a quarantine. And as we've seen, that can be extended. I'm not trying to scare people. I'm not trying to upset people. I'm just trying to say that this is a very real threat. And it's a time for us all to be very hyper aware, switch our radar on and just check what's going on around us. So it's the somber way to end the show for me, but uh, that's what I wanted to say. Over to somebody else.
7: Does
0: anyone have I any further? I That um, my daughter, she didn't deserve that treatment. She was human. She, you know, she had feelings. Yeah. Um, you know, and she didn't deserve that. Um, it's a, a difficult story because I still have so much more to say. It's so much more to this. Um, and I know we don't we don't have the time today to, you know, go through it all, but um it's, it's, it's difficult going through this and um not having that support. Um it's not a lot of community, you know, support. So when you are a parent a single parent, uh it's, it's very hard to fight back for your kid and they know this. Um, so, it's a lot of different ways that a, a child can end up in the system, but um you look at this, um, um, the rate of uh, children that's missing, um, it's a higher rate, and these are kids that's in the system, that's, you know, in foster homes, that's run away, um, they're leading in the miss- missing children. Um, but what we don't understand and, until we see, and I had to witness this myself. Uh, being in this hospital that was more like a prison, uh that had uh police instead of security guards, uh that had security guards but looked like soldiers. They had um different um procedures they would do as a cold would ring out. If you get a cold red they will run and charge you. Um if they think that you're getting a kid out of the hospital or or uh a, a missing kid on the floor. They will be, they trained, like, um, I really went through a, a, a long process, uh, which I ended up packing up everything, putting it in storage, and I moved into this hospital where we stayed for six months. I was denied a second opinion. I was denied a uh, transfer. I was denied um every aspect of getting her out of this hospital and getting help while we could, they allowed me to pass away. They allowed me to die Um, because of these court resets they kept, you know, uh, giving me week after week, they would hand me a different court date um, up until she died. Um, The case has been closed um, due to no findings and her death. Um, So I was given back custody I've never lost my wife there. Um, so,
1: Jasmine, um, I'm so sorry, but we have out of time. Thank you very much for joining us.
7: Thank you. <laughs>
2: Plus.